I'm here with Nick Gibson. Hey. On the Engage and Equip podcast, uh, which is a resource designed to engage and equip people of spiritual substance for the local church. So we're glad you're here with us today. Uh, Nick, sometimes uh, you want to do some follow-up on your sermons. Uh-huh. And so the sermon from Sunday, March 5th, uh, was on uh, around the judgment of God and the mercy of God and some heavy topics. And somewhere in that sermon, <laughs> you talked about um, how there's kind of a growing sense in our nation where uh, there's a need to actually fight and shut other people up and it's actually worth it for the end so that the end um, justifies the means. Mm-hmm. And uh, is that true? Like, as Christians, is is there situations where that is actually true? Or is or can you speak to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what we're seeing right now, and um, I'm going to try to be as nonpartisan as I can be. I actually don't think partisanly that there have been e- it's been equal offenders on this. But I'm going to try to speak ab- about this in terms of, like, truths and not in terms of accusations. Um, we're seeing a growing idea, um, an idea that we've seen many times before in the world, but a growing idea that um, we need to accomplish certain ends in the world, right? Justice, peace, whatever whatever the particular affirmed idea of the good life for everybody is, right? And nobody has the right to hold that up because everybody pays for it. If anybody holds it up Mm -hmm. and therefore anybody who who's holding it up by any means is by definition engaging in an act of violence and if they're doing so then we're justified in doing whatever act of violence is necessary to stop them from stopping progress and therefore this ideology is usually connected with um, views of the world that are focused on concepts of progress that history is progressing and some people connect that with modern progressivism but the view is um the view is hegelian um it's, it's hegel is the person who believed that you'd get a and then and then and you'd do reaction b and then you'd get c which is like the right dialectic kind of um move forward and so you got these incremental steps forward even hegel's view of god was that god was perfecting he was progressing mm-hmm. over time and hegel was an enormous influence on karl marx and engels obviously and so all, most of the revolutionary ideologies that have that have gone throughout the world, whether they're state socialism, which influenced the Nazis, whether it's state fascism, which is a state socialism, which influenced the Italians and the Spanish, whether it is communism, which obviously influenced mm-hmm. all of Eastern Europe and the entire Asian continent, which then got down into China. the um, And the French Revolution was also based in this, right? The idea that, like, people have been awful so we can be awful. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the greatest testimonies to Christian faith in the 1700s um, was a number of British um, leaders pointed out that England had made many of the same advances from aristocratic life to a more populous respect for everyone as France. Except the difference was in France, you had housewives eating the raw hearts of men cut out of their chest in the streets because of the insanity that went on during the French Revolution. And in, and in England, they had a bunch of church meetings, <laughs> right? They had a revival. Mm-hmm. And in the revival of Christian belief that happened in England in the Wesleyan and Whitfield and evangelical revivals, um, there was enormous change. There was prison reform. There were all these things that the French said basically could only happen through revolution. And it turned out that's not true. What can happen by means of revolution can also happen by means of revival. Mm-hmm. But what Wesley understood was he understood that 
the Bible has a very strong doctrine of authority and a very strong doctrine of morality. And that um, the Bible gives us certain means and doesn't give mm-hmm. us ends. There's no place in the Bible that says, you need to make the world like this. Mm-hmm. The Bible says you need to act with justice. You need to quit stealing people's homes. And there are, there are corporate indictments that happen from the prophets. But there is no, there's no place where, where Jesus basically says, you're going to bring the world to the place I want it mm-hmm. to be. Um, in fact, if Revelation has any kind of descriptiveness to the end, is, is that things are going to get really bad before Jesus comes back. Not mm-hmm. really great. And so the idea that the world is going to reach some utopia is not a particularly Christian idea. Mm-hmm. Some Christians have believed that. Um, it's called post-millennialism. Mm-hmm. But usually only in, like, good times. Yeah. The minute, you know, <laughs> when like, things oh, were... oh, maybe we are making progress. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Right. And so at the end of... So, for example, at the turn of the 20th century, there was this magazine called The Christian Century. It's still around. That was created. And it because there were all these advances. I mean, from, like, 1800 to 1900. Like, we got rid of slavery. We started industrializing mm-hmm. the world. Um, relative wealth was rising really fast. We were producing medicines that nobody had ever seen before. There were methods of transportation not even imagined, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, people were we, were, we invented this thing called the car, <laughs> right? For thousands of years, people have been riding horses. All of a sudden, there's this thing that, like, mm-hmm. runs on its own power, steam engines, right? And it just seemed like things were just going to get better and better and better and better and better. And so they made up, they, so they, and it's because of Christianity is what they believed. And so they said the 20th century will be the Christian century. Hmm. Well, it wasn't but a couple of years before World War One started. Mm-hmm. And we all of our all of our advancement um, meant that yeah, we could make steam engines, but it also meant we could make mustard gas. Mm-hmm. And the an entire generation of Europeans was wiped out. Then they had the, a far worse depression than we had in America, yeah. which then led to the rise of nationalism and communism and workers' revolutions and so on, which led to the communist revolution, Bolsheviks. Nazism, Italian fascism, Franco, um, uh, Franco fascism in, in mm-hmm. Spain. I mean, we could go on and on, mm-hmm. and it actually plagued most of the 20th century, mm-hmm. because then we got the Cold War and the Soviet bloc, and and of course, more people died in China than anywhere else, almost anywhere else put together. So when you when you look at that, what we have seen in the history of the world is a an enormously terrible testimony of revolutionary ideology. Mm-hmm. That we need to do whatever we need to do to get the utopia we seek. And we're morally justified in doing that because there is an inherent sense of violence of the people who are keeping things the same. It's very important to recognize that is not a Christian view. Mm-hmm. It is a utterly unchristian view. It is an utterly God-denying view. And it's not to say we shouldn't ever protest or that we shouldn't do things to try to affect change. We absolutely should. But the kinds of things we're seeing now were like in Middleton, Pennsylvania, I think it was, I mean, it was, maybe it was Delaware, where like kids, college students got on stage and like pulled a professor down by her hair mm. because um, a sociology scholar was teaching there mm-hmm. who people had been so close-minded about they hadn't even read the book that they were criticizing, mm-hmm. right? Um, we, there were the riots in Berkeley, there have been fights, and, and that's just on college campuses. You've got other stuff where there's a lot of work in the media of like people, everybody trying to destroy everybody else. That if you say the wrong phrase or sentence or if you knew the wrong person, you could be t- all your life's work is gone. Everything's totally destroyed. You should lose everything. There was the CEO of Mozilla that made a donation mm-hmm. to a political thing that he believed in, which was the, uh, the complementary gender marriage in California. When people found out about that, they not, he not only lost his job, they published his... Um, where he lived and all these mm-hmm. things. Um, you've got examples of 
of donors to different different um, political associations where um, groups have gotten their address lists and published them on the internet. Which the eerie thing about this is that Amer- the reason why you don't have to publish people's addresses in America when they give to political stuff is that was a court case won by the NAACP hmm. because blacks in the South wanted to give money to the NAACP during segregation to fight Jim Crow yeah. laws. And and the KKK wanted those addresses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so there was this, so they sued and um, the, and the NAACP won so that it, what, they didn't have to give those out. Mm-hmm. So African-Americans couldn't be targeted. Right. And yet the very, the, like that very idea is being undermined in the present situation where we're having the same kind of cultural war about what's right, what should we be mm-hmm. doing? Um, and it's getting kind of ugly. And people, I think, sometimes underestimate the level of cultural warfare that's going on in the United States right now about two utterly different visions of human life. Mm-hmm. And what Christians need to recognize is not only, politically speaking, in terms of actual policies and beliefs, mm-hmm. neither political view in America, or really there's four political views in America. There's mm-hmm. the democratic view, there's progressivism mm-hmm. as an ism, there is conservatism, and there's libertarianism, and those are they're all different. Mm-hmm. And all of them have some Christian ideas in them. Mm-hmm. And all of them have some very unchristian ideas in them. But one of the things to recognize is, is that there are also means that are acceptable to the Christian faith and means that are not. And I don't care what you think somebody's view is, um, pulling somebody down by their hair, trying to destroy their career, uh, slandering people with stuff that you know isn't true about them, speaking um, ignorantly about people whose work you haven't even read, mm-hmm. um, you know, telling people what they can and can't listen to. Um, and in addition to that, just being closed-minded, not engaging in conversations, deciding you won't be friends with somebody who doesn't toe the line. Um, there's there's an increasing sense in the culture that if you live in a conservative town, like you better believe that or mm-hmm. you're kind of on the outside. Or in Madison, it's a liberal town. If you don't believe these views, mm-hmm. you should be on the outside. And if it's it, it reminds you of like stories that are told about the Spanish Inquisition that aren't true about the Spanish Inquisition, but actually are true about the way people were treated in um, in certain regimes in Europe. And and people are making these kinds of noises. And the biggest difficulty, and one of the reasons it's important for a church like High Point, is young people just haven't lived through this. Yeah. So like if you, so I was born in seventy seven. I'm almost forty. Um, the first president I was conscious of it was Reagan, and the Soviet bloc began to really disassemble in the mid, in the in the 1980s, right? And so there was already a Soviet bloc. There was already an Iron Curtain. Um, it, it wasn't until I went back later and started to read works by Christians that lived in Bulgaria and Romania that I actually began to learn what it was really like for Christians in mm-hmm. Soviet countries, in fascist countries, in places where the state was ruled, and. Um, Christians have to be really careful about this. And if you don't have a personal historical consciousness of what happened in Europe mm-hmm. in the 20th century and what happened in South America and in Southeast Asia, and if you don't know what happened in the French Revolution, and these aren't things that you know about, you could look at a at a, a big protest and be like, oh, that's good, when it isn't good. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, so how do you know then, like if you are in... If you feel that you're in an oppressed uh, culture or minority or whatever, Mm -hmm. how do you know when it's right to, uh, when are the means, what means are okay as Mm -hmm. Christians 
to stand up for what you believe is right or uh, when you think something's wrong, what what does that look like for us, especially in our culture now? Mm-hmm. So um, Christianity is basically the only view in the world where God comes and dies for people, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that Martin Luther King understood was that it was not sufficiently Christian to win. You had to win over your enemy to really win, which was which was rooted not in his understanding of Gandhi. King may, mainly got his tactics from Gandhi, and he he believed in Gandhi's understanding of nonviolence. But his justification for nonviolence and the purpose for it was Christian, mm-hmm. because he believed that God wanted to create what what um, what King called the beloved community. That is little black boys and little white boys sitting down at the table fellowship that people are judged by the content of the character not by the mm-hmm. color of their skin and he believed that it was the job he he basically understood that that blacks in america had been oppressed and it was going to be the blood sweat and tears of blacks that was going to get them unoppressed not of whites they weren't going to extract freedom from whites they were going to appeal to them and in that sense what king did was deeply christian on a number of different levels but one of them being he made a virtuous appeal to the virtue of his oppressors. Mm-hmm. Very few people do that mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, you say that you're a Christian. You say that you're a good man or a good woman. Do you really think you can behave like this to us mm-hmm. if you really are a good man or a good woman? Mm-hmm. And the appeal to conscience rather than appealing to the visceral sensuality of people. In fact, Second Peter says in two places, that's one of the ways you can tell a false teacher, somebody you should never listen to, is they will appeal to the sort of animalistic sensuality and passions of people. They'll appeal to the flesh. They'll say that they're going to get freedom, but as a person, they're actually utterly enslaved to depravity, and what they're selling this freedom is a new enslavement. And Christians should be able to recognize this, mm-hmm. and they should be able to look people in the face and say, look, I'm not going along with this. Mm-hmm. And they should be able to recognize jackbootedness in in many from any party mm-hmm. and christians should never be captured by any ideology or any party mm-hmm. and it's sad for me when i see christians on facebook who are democrats who can only say good things about democrats and can never say a good thing about a republican mm-hmm. and christians who are republicans they every republican is worth defending and every democrat is worth mm-hmm. attacking and I understand if you're consistent, you may be for Democratic policies and against Republican policies or for Republican mm-hmm. policies and against Democrat policies. Right. But the fact that every person should be defended mm-hmm. and every other person should be attacked just tends to lead to incredible ignorance. Mm-hmm. Um, as somebody who tries very hard to read from both groups of people, there's really reasonable people on both sides. You and I just finished reading that book, Evicted by... Yeah. By, is it Matthew Desmond? Yes, Michael, and, Michael Desmond. Michael Desmond, right. Yeah, and he, I mean, he's a Harvard scholar. I knew, I knew he was going to be politically liberal. I knew he was going to basically say the answer mm-hmm. is the government should spend more money on poor people's housing. We, we pay for poor people's food. Why wouldn't we pay for poor people's housing? Mm-hmm. I'm, you know from my economic, macroeconomic theories that I'm probably not for that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I, I wanted to read the stories. I wanted to see the statistics he quoted. I wanted to understand his studies because I assume I'm ignorant. Mm-hmm. To see 21-year-olds and 23-year-olds and even 25-year-olds talk about macroeconomics, talk about history, talk about things like they know everything about them, they know where all this is going to go, it just, it's, it's disheartening because it, it isn't true. Mm-hmm. 
and an unwillingness to listen, especially to people who've been through stuff, mm-hmm. I think is can be really difficult. So I think Christians can seek any means that they believe is just. If they believe from real research, interest, listening, trying mm-hmm. to discern that a certain end is just, they should pursue it according to conscience. Mm-hmm. But their conscience must be constrained by the means that God allows. In his as revealed through his word as revealed through his word and as exemplified in the life of christ Mm -hmm. and you could even broaden it as exemplified in the life of his saints Mm -hmm. right in most cases so for example honoring respecting government absolute respecting order Mm -hmm. absolute not destroying other people's property or stealing from them absolute Mm -hmm. right um not demagoguing Mm-hmm. Not appealing to people's viscerality, but only appealing to their nobility and to um, the higher parts of human morality that are rooted mm-hmm. in the image of God rather than are part of the sensual desires that are out of whack in the flesh. Um, you know, these, yeah. are, these are some of the, these things that Christians have to be absolutely clear about. And yeah, it's going to take a lot of self-control. And some people are going to wag their finger at me and be like, oh, that's just white night talk. Well, Jesus accomplishes things in ways you can't foresee. Mm-hmm. That's why his, he has his secret will and his revealed will. We don't know his secret will exactly, and we don't know how he's going to accomplish things. But he's told us what to do. Mm-hmm. He said, do this, don't do that. What that means is that we have no, we have no right to claim any kind of utopian vision. Mm-hmm. God is yeah. the only one who sees how he wants to take the world through things, and he's told us what to do. Now, if we have a vision, and we think it's also God's vision about where we want to go as a people, fine. That's mm-hmm. fine. Societies have leaders, leaders have jobs, mm-hmm. but it can only be by God's means. Mm-hmm. It can never be outside of those. And I think once you start reading the Bible for God's means and realizing what you can't do and realizing what those means and how those function and realize that God often accomplishes things in ways that you don't think are possible, mm-hmm. it'll create a kind of wisdom and it'll create a kind of um, thoughtfulness that is extremely important, especially in youth. One of the things I think is worth saying, though it might offend some of our younger listeners, who I love, is that most of the most horrific things that have happened, especially in the last two, three hundred years, since there have been universities, and since there have been a lot of university students, some of the absolute worst things that have ever happened, especially in Western society, have come through the university students. Mm -hmm. Huge supporters of fascism, huge supporters of state socialism, huge supporters of communism, huge supporters of really, really terrible things that were that were avant-garde because young people tend to believe something brand new is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Our forefathers weren't willing to be good. Mm-hmm. They're cynical. They lost. They sold out. We're, we, we know what's good to do. We can do this. Um, and then they, they engage in these social experiments that tend to be just, that completely misunderstand human nature. Mm-hmm. And that are really have awful results, and usually horrifically murderous results, and um, extraordinarily destructive, and that inflame um, everything that's bad about human beings. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the difficulties with um, communism, for example, is that um, it said I, we want all these good ends, mm-hmm. but it, it didn't only pursue them through unjust means, taking people's personal property and giving it to other people which is utterly unjust. But in addition to that, that system actually, if you understood human beings, human nature and the flesh and sin and depravity and what kind of institutions 
restrain human depravity and mm-hmm. and lead people towards nobility. Well, what are those institutions? They're the institutions of the family and the church. Mm-hmm. Well, what were the first institutions that communism, communists destroyed because they were in competition with the state? The family, family and, the and the church, right? Mm-hmm. And, and um, people like Edmund Burke who were structural conservatives, right, that you don't just get rid of institutions because you darn well feel like at this mm-hmm. moment, recognize those things, that people aren't, that the good things we have going now are that way for reasons. And when you wipe that stuff away, just do something new because you're young and you're excited and you think this will definitely work. Mm-hmm. First of all, the last hundred generations before you has done, have done the same thing, mm-hmm. mostly for bad results. Um, and then corrected back as they got older. But in addition to that, most of these new fandangled kinds of things that we really hope will, will produce good things, they actually inflame the worst parts of human beings. If you just ask yourself, and then what will happen five times, mm-hmm. right? And then what will happen? And then what will happen? Yeah, based on and what, what I what know happen. about humans and, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. If you give, If you take stuff from certain people and give it to other people, what will happen? Well, these mm-hmm. people will have something. These people will have less. And they can have less. That'll work. Okay, great. And then what will happen? Mm-hmm. And by the, and then what will happen? By the time you get to the third and then what will happen, it's usually really bad results. And you realize it if you just ask yourself, and then what will happen three times? Um, and younger people, especially if they haven't studied macroeconomics, um, they're guilty of what economists call first stage thinking. I have this problem. Let's do this solution. Mm-hmm. And they don't think... And then what will happen mm-hmm. five times? And and that, but if you look at what Jesus does, what Jesus commands, the means Jesus commands, mm-hmm. the institutions that he creates, and you look at those for a minute and you say, and then what will happen, right? So everybody's attacking you personally, demagoguing you, slandering you, right? And you're like, oh, Jesus wants me to take what he would call the high road. I'm not going to slander anybody back. I'm going to make an argument. I'm going to do somebody that, right? What's going to happen? You're going to get shouted over. You're going to be diminished. They're probably going to win. And then what will happen? Their program is going to fail. <laughs> Some people are going to realize you're a reasonable person and be drawn closer to you. You'll be able to build something while their thing is falling apart. Mm-hmm. In the long run, you're going to have credibility, right? And you're right before God. And, right. <laughs> no, ultimately. But even how God in his providence works yeah. goods, mm-hmm. he works goods through his means. Mm-hmm. The minute you step outside of God's means, there's no reason to believe that God in his providence is going to seek to work a good through what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you think you can work a good without God's blessing in a, in a, in a sin crap whole world, I just, I don't know what kind of Bible you're reading. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that right now Christians have to really fight to not be politically um, captured mm-hmm. on the right and the left. There's some, there's some things in this new Trump administration and some of the people that are being added on to the American right that are really concerning. And Christians need to be ready to say yes to some things and no to others. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I'm really for the do Supreme Court person. I think that he's going to be great. I'm really concerned about some of the other things, right? Mm-hmm. I think the same is true on the left. There were a lot of things in the Obama administration that I was, I'm really concerned about. Not, not the hope of what they would do in the first stage, but you start asking yourself, and then what will happen, and then what will happen? Mm-hmm. Well, things like huge debts and national bankruptcies mm-hmm. and things like that that really hurt poor people in the long run. So I think if Christians stay stepped back, and I think we just have to, I think we, I think everybody could stand who is political to identify with their political parties a little less, 
And Christians who aren't at political at all need to start thinking about their place in fighting for civility more broadly. Mm-hmm. If more Christians engaged in civility and insisted upon civility, um, we could have a we could have a people. We could have a relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. And um, some of these movements that are not interested in Christ's means are not going to uphold those things. And I think Christians can be a great salt, a great preservative of those things in our present culture. Um, and and there's certain political madnesses that are kind of like fevers. They'll pass. And if you can restrain them a little bit, sometimes you can keep them from really becoming what they want to become mm-hmm. until they pass. Mm-hmm. And you can actually miss a lot of the great harm that they could do. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of times Christians, with both parties in power, sometimes our job is um, is honorable and obedient resistance. Mm-hmm. And a absolute focus, one of the things I think is really important for Christians to understand, in the Bible, the family comes before the fall. It is the only absolute institution of God among human beings. Mm-hmm. Law is instituted before government. And the Bible says everywhere that the government is under the law, right? That's very important. And so if I if I vote, let's say I vote Democrat, and the person I vote for does something that is not subservient to the law, they think that they're above the law, but they're doing what I want mm-hmm. them to do. I absolutely have to stand against that as a Christian. Mm-hmm. The ends don't justify the means. Mm-hmm. Even if I really want the thing, um, I can't. Because law is above man. It's fundamentally a Judeo-Christian idea, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you get there, you get a king in Samuel, God says that this is a great, terrible thing that's happened. So even though we're to obey government, he says government in and of itself is a taking kind of thing. And you should always want it to be as small as possible. Mm-hmm. Because it will take from you. And the actions of government are actually your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And the minute you give them away, you stop doing them. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then when we get later in the Bible, we we Jesus talks more about the fact that well, in Romans thirteen, we get like you have to obey the government. And if we if we get some of these things straight, we realize that the family and the church, and a few other civic institutions, are ordained by God as much as government, and the family more primarily. And so, um, as the church, we need to recognize that any any political or governmental um, organizing or movement that seeks to increase the state, especially if it's at the expense of the family, no matter what party it is, it is a fundamentally unchristian move. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and you can see that in certain forms of nativist nationalism, mm-hmm. which people fear we're going to have on the right. Mm-hmm. I think their fears are not quite as founded, but it's possible. It's also part of leftist statism. Mm-hmm. which has taken over a good portion of the American Democratic Party. And Christians need to resist both of those, absolutely, mm-hmm. because the family has to be central. And what we see in all Western societies is, as goes the family, so goes the society anyway. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be huge advocates of that as well. So, I mean, these are some things to sketch. Yeah. I don't want to go on too long about this, but I think that first we need to fight for civility, and we need to use God's means and not think that we can create ends out of our own mm-hmm. minds. God's ends are secret to himself in how he'll accomplish them. And so we have to start with obedience and then see if we can make the world a better place mm-hmm. out of love, loving our neighbors. Yeah. And then there are also some things the Bible says about macro human questions of politics, family, and church. And if we get those straight, a lot of things will smell good or smell bad really quick to us. 
and they'll alert us when things are going sour mm-hmm. before it's super obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, and historically, when Christians have not acted politically, it's because they acted too late. They just didn't see what was happening until it was too late. Yes, we do need to pay attention and, and so listen. We, and, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you don't personally pay attention, you need to be paying attention to somebody who's paying attention, <laughs> mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. And figure out who you can trust, who is paying attention, mm-hmm. and pay attention to somebody who's paying attention if you're not paying attention. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I hope that's helpful. That's all stuff from the cut, not from the cutting room floor. I wouldn't have normally put that in a sermon. But where else do we teach about this at the church? But right. it's profoundly part of the gospel and how we live it out mm-hmm. publicly. So I hope that that's helpful for people. Yeah. And I remember in your sermon saying that God's end is not a utopia, as you kind of spoke uh-huh. to in what you were saying. It's the kingdom of God, which we don't bring in <laughs> at all. So, right. you know, viewing everything with the lens of the kingdom of God. And so if uh, if you guys want to listen to the sermon from March 5th for more context, too, you can go to highpointchurch.org slash sermons. Yeah. And t- okay, look, I, I know that was supposed to be the ending. Great sermon. But... <laughs> One of the things we realize about, about heaven, especially when you read Galatians 5 yeah. in context, is that heaven is going to be a utopia, so to speak, mm-hmm. not because God is going to say it's going to be like this and demand everything, but because it's only going to include people of virtue, mm-hmm. right? People who have become godly, mm-hmm. have the mind of Christ, have learned how to live in self-sacrificial love, now in redemption become totally free of the flesh, and now come into community together in God's beloved community. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have to control everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody who will be there will will know the truth, love the truth, have their character formed in the truth. And therefore, God won't have to be a big statist regime. Heaven will be the most decentralized place perhaps in the history of the world mm-hmm. with yet the most authoritative king there's ever been. And that's how God has created his future, has planned to create his future utopia, mm-hmm. which is utterly the opposite about how humans try to create it by mm-hmm. forcing everybody to do what we want. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I do not believe we should be seeking one. Mm-hmm. I think we should be seeking justice as best we can. Um, but we should all be seeking to grow in virtue because that is how we're going to participate mm-hmm. in the future mm-hmm. great kingdom. Yeah. Does that make sense? All right. Cool. Thanks, Nick. Yep. See you guys soon. soon.